So we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into and it's it. It's pretty complicated. Yeah, we'll, so. we don't want to burn ourselves out on the topic too quickly. Definitely not. Anything else going on before we get into this? Yeah, don't don't let me jump into shit too quickly, because you know how. Yeah. You know how sometimes. Oh, I know. I, I get ahead of myself. Yeah. Well, I think this is going to be a fun discussion. I'm looking forward to this. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Four Thirty in the Morning. It's your boy Ben, and Pat is back as well. Man, we made it. Where are we at, Pat? Episode number one hundred. Jesus, I never thought. I in a never, million years. I never, never thought. <laughs> never thought this would be. We this get would be to happen. episode one hundred. Anyways, uh, that's a big milestone, if you will. Definitely. Uh, Benjamin Franklin's on the hundred dollar bill. He sure is. One of the greatest presidents, even though he's not really a president. Yeah, he was not a president. Most people will tell you that he's a president. Right. One of the great visionaries of our country though definitely so 100 episodes and many more to come possibly yeah i'd say so many many more we never do seem to run out of topics and we never do seem to run out of news stories no we never do pat what do you got for news stories i'm not gonna lie to you i brought four to the studio but i'm counting on you having at least one of these <laughs> which is why i brought the fourth one just in case anyways my first one comes from our favorites upi Odd news. All right. Idaho man puts 2,470 cotton swabs in his beard for world record. I saw this one. Do you not have this one? I do not have this one. An Idaho man whose facial hair earned him 12 Guinness World Records added the 13th title to his name when he fit 2,470 Q-tips in his beard. Joel Strassler of Kuna said it took about two hours to insert the cotton swabs into his beard in a way that they would remain in place during his visit to Las Vegas. And he believes he could have set the record even higher if he had purchased more Q-tips for his attempt. Strasser previously made headlines in December of 2022 when he put 710 Christmas ball bells into his beard for a world record title, and again in January when he broke the record for fitting pencils into his beard on Live with Kelly and Ryan. So this guy's getting some... This guy's literally making a living off just sticking shit in his beard. You don't see uh, David Rush. You don't see him on Kelly and Ryan. No, you definitely don't. This is a different Idaho man that's making making the waves. Man, what's going on with these Idaho people? I got more Guinness World records coming up i've got 13 so far but i'm not done i'm going to keep doing them until i can't think of anything more to put in my beard strassler told khq tv strassler's other world titles include most paper straws in a beard most straws in a beard so normal straws i guess okay most chopsticks in a beard most golf tees in a beard most forks in a beard most toothpicks in a beard most clothespins in a beard most chopsticks put into a beard in one minute (laughs) And most pencils put into a beard in one minute. Wow. That's all I got with that one. I thought it was funny, though. I mean, you see Idaho Man, Guinness World Records, everybody assumes David Rush. Yeah, that's what I was waiting for. Not this time, but this guy's getting more publicity on this one than yeah. David Rush has. This guy is doing more for STEM education than David Rush is. Yeah, I would agree. I'm disappointed in David Rush. He needs to start growing up the whiskers. Yeah, he needs to start stepping it up his game a little He's bit. He's not even the best record breaker in his own state anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's all I got with that one. That's funny. What do you got today, sir? I got one from another one from our favorite, UPI Odd News. Uh-oh. Wisconsin woman breaks world record 
with 118,791 four-leaf clovers. I saw this. This is a weird one. Maybe maybe our guy from Idaho could stick all these in his beard. Who would have thought we would have two different world record stories and them not be about David Rush this week? Yeah, how weird. A Wisconsin woman earned a Guinness World Record when a team of volunteers tallied her collection of four-leaf clovers at 118,791. Gabriella Gerhardt, a clover collector who already holds the records for the largest number of four-leaf clovers collected in eight hours, 887, the most four-leaf clovers collected in one hour, 451, brought her entire collection to the Finchburg Public Library on Saturday to be counted by a team of 21 witnesses. The team counted Gerhardt's clovers and arrived at a total of 118,791, more than more than enough to break the current record of 111,060. Gerhardt, who has been collecting clovers since 2010, applied in January to break the records for the largest collection of five-leaf clovers, 1,400 140, the largest collection of six leaf clovers, 210. Holy shit. In order to find a clover, you have to let your mind clear. It's a mindfulness... It's a mindfulness exercise, and it was a very soothing experience. Every time you find one, I found over 100,000. Every time I find one, I still get a little magic feeling. It's a little boost of serotonin, she told WMTV, and that's the end. This is wild. All right, so I could tell you this right now. I have actively searched for a four-leaf clover for at least 20 minutes. I and, have as well. And I've never, I don't think I've ever found one. I think one. I found one in my life. I used to do it a lot. I used to do a lot as a kid. Yeah. Like, like my my thought process as a kid was I needed to bank up as much good luck as possible early. <laughs> so I'd be out there every day looking for four-leaf clovers. I think I found one. Shit. Now, you could give me a week. I couldn't find one. She's found 118,000. Dude, she finds... Five-leaf clovers, six-leaf clovers. She found 451 in one hour. How is that even possible? I feel like she had to have been at, like, Chernobyl or something. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, where was she at when she found this That's shit? wild. Um, four-leaf clovers are lucky, though, aren't they? I guess. Like, I thought you were supposed to, like, bank those up for good luck. If you are if you believe in the superstition. I'm assuming she does, but I feel like the luck hasn't paid off if the only thing she's known for is finding four-leaf clovers. Yeah, has this benefited her in any way? Like, she's really lucky. I mean, Ben Hooper's writing about her, so. Yeah. I guess that's something. She made 4.30 in the morning. Definitely. That's going to probably be her claim to fame. Definitely. What's her name again? Her name? is Gabriella Gerhardt. Gabriella, if you're out there and you want to tell us more about your clover collection, please tweet us at 30 in the... Yes, please tweet us. Please comment on Facebook. Please let us know all about this because we're kind of curious. Definitely. Maybe you could teach me and Ben some skills. Yes, I want to learn how to uh, clear my mind. Definitely. Me too. I definitely need that. And on a related note, did you know that clover is technically speaking part of a healthy lawn? Really? Yes. Clovers are always targeted by weed killers, Hmm. but it's only for cosmetic effect they have been demonized as a weed when really they provide much nutrients to the rest of your lawn and they're a healthy part of a normal patch of grass basically wow they make it they make the grass healthier they make the soil better they do ever they do a lot of good shit so they are uh lucky but since they're not in that cosmetically pleasing whatever the hell they've been targeted by weed killer companies sure and fertilizer companies to try to eradicate them unbelievable anyways anything else you got with that one nope all you dude awesome i got a good one for you. This one comes from our favorite Fox News. Sure. Mexican president goes viral for claim he has photo proof of mythical woodland elf. 
Think right. about this for a second. All right. The president of Mexico is going viral after he posted a photo to social media that he said shows the mythical woodland elf of Mayan folklore. Everything is mystical, Mexican president Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador said in a Twitter post Saturday, accompanied by two photos, including one that the president says shows an eluxe, A-L-U-X-E. Have you heard of that? Uh. According to the traditional Mayan belief... Aluxes are a small, mischievous creature that inhabits forests and fields and are prone to playing tricks on people, like hiding things. Some people leave small offerings to appease them. Obrador says he racked up nearly 5 million views on the post as of Sunday. One photo in the post shows a pre-Hispanic sculpture in Ekbalam, a Yucatec Maya archaeological site, while the other photo shows a nighttime shot of what appears to be a creature in a tree with glowing eyes. Now, was this part of where you were visiting when you were on your honeymoon? Yucatec, Maya? We were at the Yucatan Peninsula. We were at Chichen Itza. So you could have encountered this beast. It's possible. It does not appear the president was joking in his Twitter post. The photo of the alleged Luxe was taken last week by an engineer at the construction site of a new train railway in the Yucatan Peninsula, according to Abrador. The railway is being constructed to transport tourists to and from popular destinations, including Mayan ruins. So Wow. Yeah, I could have seen one. Of these. The post set off mockery and astonishment among some Twitter users, including speculation that the creature in the tree is actually just an animal. So this guy, this is the president of Mexico, <laughs> tweeting out what he claims is photographic evidence of this whatever. This mythical elf. The Eluxe, the woodland elf. Now there's a lot, a lot, a lot of folklore from all of America. When it comes to these little creatures running around, different types. Sure. Lots of it. And lots of people even today that you'll meet that are like, yep, they're real. They're just part of life. And you see the same thing with the leprechauns and other places across the world, basically. Yep. So who knows? Now, I will say this photo kind of looks more like an owl than anything else. <laughs> But I'm not going to sit here and say that I know what the hell it is. I mean, this is the president of Mexico. He's got to have some type of resource yes. around him to say that this is somewhat credible. I mean, this is a president of a nation here. Definitely. Now, it is kind of concerning. It's like, yeah, this guy talking about Woodland Elves on Twitter and being adamant about it. <laughs> then you look at what the U.S. has running the show. Then you pop up to Canada and look at that guy. <laughs> <laughs> We're all doomed. We're not exactly <laughs> running with the best and the brightest, it seems. But maybe this guy's right about it. This guy sounds the most sensible to me. Yeah, honestly. definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Anyways, that's all I got. I thought that one was kind of <laughs> was kind of funny. That's kind of funny. Anyways, what else you got today, sir? Tell me if this is a follow up to one of your old. Oh, I don't. I can't remember though. This is from February twenty third. This is another one from our favorite UPI on news. Bear escapes from St. Louis Zoo enclosure for the second time in a month. This is not a follow-up, but I did bring this one to the studio. So okay. go ahead and get into it. St. Louis Zoo was placed on lockdown Thursday when an Andean bear escaped from his habitat for the second time this month. Zoo officials said the four-year-old bear named Ben escaped from his outdoor habitat on 1 p.m., and they implemented a lockdown with guests being escorted to indoor facilities. Ben was safely recaptured about an hour later in the river's edge area of the zoo near his enclosure. The bear previously escaped from his enclosure February 7th when he tampered with steel mesh surrounding the exhibit, causing the cable to break. The zoo said steel cargo clips have been added to reinforce the enclosure, but Ben still managed to escape again. The method was... (laughs) The method of the most recent escape was unclear. Thursday. (laughs) Officials said that they are looking into further measures to secure the habitat. 
So they don't even know how the hell this bear escaped the second time. This one kills me because, I mean, we've talked about this type of shit before. It's always like in, like, <laughs> war-torn Syria or right. China or somewhere where these animals are getting out. This is in fucking St. Louis. This bear got this out is twice. Ridiculous. Twice in one month. This I mean, you really feel like, dangerous. You feel like one time is, like, a citywide incident. Yeah, literally. This is twice in a month. They haven't figured out how to keep Ben in this cage. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's absolutely insane. So I don't have a whole lot to add to that outside of the fact that... Dude, like, are you kidding me? They said the method of his most recent escape was unclear. How much investigation could (laughs) there possibly be? Now, okay, let me... There has to be, like, a holding cell at this point where they're keeping this bear until they figure it out. Right. Because you're not going to return him to the enclosure that (laughs) you have no idea how the hell he he got out of in the first place. This is ridiculous. This one, I mean, we're not talking about some far off country yeah, this is the united this states is st louis this is a big zoo now how do they recover from the marketing come to the st louis zoo where you might get mauled by a bear <laughs> for real man like and you know them animals out of them cages are going to be extra aggressive what is going on though i mean i feel like we're talking about this type of thing a lot we had the owl last week i mean we, we probably a third of our episodes have featured an animal escape of some kind probably this is two in one month same animal same zoo and they have no idea how this this thing is getting out. You would think that outside of keeping the animals alive, keeping them enclosed is like the number one priority of a zoo. Someone needs to get fired. Like, are there not cameras in the enclosure? I honestly don't know. But someone needs to get fired for this. This is out of control. Yeah, somebody somebody needs to provide this some answers. This isn't here. a penguin escaping or a flamingo <laughs> or an owl. This is an Andean bear. This is a big, vicious beast. Yeah. And again, a one-off incident is one thing. If, if one bear escapes one time and you're not having any other issues, full attention needs to be put on this bear. Could you imagine the guy going back, the guy in charge and watching him, like, going back to give his food? <laughs> oh, shit. Could you imagine? Look, they do a press conference. Today, a bear escaped from our exhibit. We responded quickly. We fixed. We, we found the error in our ways whatever we fix the problem and we don't think it's gonna happen again coming back in the another month we're back here again because the same bear escape unreal i don't know bend the bear i don't know what to say anyways how silly i got one more let's hear it and this one's gonna also come from believe it or not our favorite upi odd news all right quahog clam <laughs> Found off Florida coast, believed to be 214 years old. Do you have this one? Nope, I almost did it. A 2.6 pound quahog clam that made a rare visit to the Florida coast is believed by researchers to be 214 years old. Blaine Parker said he was collecting shellfish to make chowder at Alligator Point on St. James Island in Franklin County when he found a gigantic quahog clam, an Atlantic species found most often north of North Carolina. We were just going to eat it, but we thought about it a while. And figured it was probably pretty special, so we didn't want to kill it. Parker told the Tallahassee Democrat. Parker took the clam to the Gulf Specimen Marine Lab in Panacea, where researchers confirmed it was much larger than the average quahog, which typically weighs up to half a pound and measured up to 4.3 inches in length. Parker's clam was measured at 6 inches long. (laughs) (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) Researchers said the alternating bands of light on the clam shell indicate it was born in 1809. Damn. The same year Abraham Lincoln was born. Parker dubbed his find the Abraham Lincoln. Are you <laughs> fucking kidding me? 
Lab officials said Lincoln is believed to be the fourth oldest clam on record. The oldest, a quahog clam named Ming, was discovered off the coast of Iceland <laughs> in 2007 and was determined to be 507 years old. That's incredible. Damn. Now, I did not read that news story before. I just copied the headline and put it down. And Sure, that's, so. that's what I do most of the time. <laughs> that was a pretty, pretty well-written news story. I will say that Ben Hooper is back on his game. He is. From UPI at News. If you guys haven't noticed, we do UPI at News a lot. They all these articles... All these articles are written by this guy named Ben Hooper. I don't know. He he trenches out a lot. He cranks out about a dozen a day. Yeah, that's crazy. And a lot there's you have to sift through them a little bit, but he consistently puts there's out some, good. There's some good ones, definitely. So that's all I got with that one. The Quahog Clam. Obviously, we know Quahog, Rhode Island, from from Family Guy. Now, is that a real city? I don't believe so. I think it's it's like it's based on Providence, Rhode Island. I yeah, believe. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but Family Guy, the the cartoon show. Yep. Anyways, what else you got today, Ben? This one I have not read the whole thing. We're gonna we're gonna see how it goes. This is from Unilad. Oh, scientists discover massive solid metal ball inside Earth's core. How do they discover this? Do they, I don't know. We're going to find out. Do they drill a hole? I guess so. The announcement comes after years of debate in the scientific community about whether a solid metal in a core of the Earth even exists. Seismologists and at the Australian National University now believe that this new core was created following a significant global event from the past. Now, I'm going to really jack these names up. All right. You can look at them to see how you can even pronounce them. Then a son, fam, and revolhe takakis. These are using letters outside of our normal alphabet. Yes, they definitely are. We're just going to have to put this story up on uh, Facebook so that our listeners can at least read these these hieroglyphics, if you will. Sure. We're going to say these two guys. So these two guys discovered a solid metal core by studying specific earthquakes and monitoring seismic waves reverberating through the entire planet. Amazingly, Amazingly, this led them to spotting details about the core, which had previously gone unnoticed, as they were able to study the core in a new way. Not only were they able to confirm the existence of a solid metal core also known as a innermost inner core, or IMIC. They also made another surprising discovery. They now estimate that inner metal core is approximately 800 miles in diameter, making up nearly 1% of the Earth's volume, which is far bigger than other scientists had previously predicted. After publishing their findings in Nature, they told the Washington Post, clearly the innermost inner core has something different from the outer layer, despite still being made of same materials to the molten core. The solid metal inner core may also have different properties, explained the scientist. We think that the way the atoms are packed in these two regions are slightly different, he said, adding, this means seismic waves travel through it at a different rate. That wasn't enough. The researchers also believe that this solid metal core could be key to understanding how life evolved on planet Earth. They added the inner, the metal inner core could be a fossilized record of a significant tectonic event, with the core solidifying shortly afterwards. Writing in the conversation, the researchers said, studying the Earth's center is not just a topic of academic curiosity, but something that sheds light on the very evolution of life on our Earth's surface. It continues to go on a little more, but I think you got the gist. Definitely. Um, A lot going on with that one. Yeah, what do you think? I know you believe the Earth's hollow. The Earth is hollow, most likely. (laughs) Um, See, the issue that I always struggle with is we haven't dug down that far. Exactly. We have no other sample size. We've got literally one planet that 
we think we're basing it all on whatever. Right. Now, there are definitely reasons why you think there's a molten core. Most of it has to do with plate tectonics and volcanic eruptions and shit like that. Sure. Where this idea has been deduced. But, again, who isn't say the Earth isn't hollow? Who's to say? I'm really curious what our main topic gentleman would have to say about this news story. Yeah, I agree. So, do you have anything more with that or you want to jump nope. right in? Nope. You're, you're, I'm all done. So, episode 100, we decided to do a very important figure for this uh, for this discussion. One of the more important figures that we've discussed on the podcast so far. Now, this is a guy that we've mentioned. A couple times. A couple times here and there, but he's never been the focal point of an episode. He's been mentioned. I know we talked about him on the archaeology episode a little bit. We've talked about him maybe a little bit in the aliens here and there. Sure. Um, but this is a guy that has an awful lot going on. Definitely. I would say, I would argue that he is at the peak of his popularity in 2022, or 2023. Sure. I feel like he kind of hit his peak last year. And who are we talking about today, man? We are talking about the one and the only Graham Hancock. Yes, Graham Hancock. Graham Hancock is a guy that really wasn't on my radar until we pretty much started doing the show. Maybe yep. a little bit before. I know you've been talking about him for a while. I discovered him on Joe Rogan Experience. Yes. He has really taken off thanks to Joe Rogan, but he's been an accomplished author prior to his exposure on the Joe Rogan Experience. Yes. Which, if you don't know, that's a podcast. It's a long-form podcast that does interview-based discussions that can last several hours. Yes. So, what Joe Rogan does is he brings on guests on topics across the spectrum. But he really lets the guests kind of talk about whatever they want to talk about yep and joe kind of just interviews them on points of curiosity that he has but also kind of presses them on what they're working on recently why they believe what they believe and he'll he'll present different opinions depending on what's going on sure but the graham hancock episodes have been very popular and there's been multiple there's at least four yes he's done several and there's a lot of people out there that have been exposed to graham hancock through the joe rogan show but the joe rogan shows those shows the graham hancock episodes tend to be towards the most popular Yep. in terms of all the episodes that Joe Rogan does. Definitely. So who the hell is Graham Hancock? What does he do? What what does he do? So Graham Hancock is a writer and he is a journalist. Yes, he is professionally a journalist. Yes, professionally. Now, what's cool about Graham Hancock is he and I share the same birthday. Yeah, I noticed that. (laughs) August 2nd. Which is pretty awesome. Uh, although he was born in 1950, I'm not quite that old. Sure. And he was born in Edinburgh, United Kingdom. Yes. Now, he went to Durham University. He actually studied sociology. He didn't really get into anything that we're going to be talking about today, early on. Sure. And uh, he graduated in 73, and he was basically a quality journalist for a while. He um, he worked for a lot of leading newspapers, like the Times, Sunday Times, the Independent, the Guardian. Um, he was like an East African correspondent for a while of like the economist so it wasn't until like the early 90s he started dabbling into things that we're going to be talking about what kind um, of things what kind of things like ancient civilizations asking certain questions of you know what is our past all about basically and sure he is all about providing different perspectives on the past and stuff like that and um so he started writing books in the 80s and his first books were mostly 
revolved around like international aid. He wrote some books on uh, war and poverty or something like that, or poverty and war. Lords of poverty. Lords of poverty. The power, prestige, and corruption of the international aid business. There it is. Yes. And in 1992, he started to kind of change his uh, change his writing. Area of focus, I guess. Area of focus. Yes, that's a good way to put it. 1992, he came out with the sign and the seal, which that book got into the investigation into the whereabouts of the lo- of the lost ark of the covenant yes which i want i kind of want to check that book out i want to check out sweet. all of his books and then in 95 he wrote uh, probably the book that really got his name out there in 95 fingerprints of the gods which is the one i'm reading right now how do you is, like that book Pat? it's very interesting i'm only about seven chapters in i read a chapter today before i came out here a lot going on nice awful lot going on and he would go on to write other best-selling famous books as well i think pat you have a list down there i didn't write all yes of them i down. do he's got 16 publications magicians of the gods is a big one that's the one i'm listening to right now yeah that one's very popular um there was another one i was going to talk about um he has two um well he, he has a couple novels doesn't he? he he has like a series yes he's got some fiction as well and his most recent book was published in 2019 so he's due he's due for another one you would think so right that's america before yep right yeah that one sounds pretty awesome he talks about that book on the second to last joe rogan podcast yeah now graham hancock now i, I wrote this little statement trying to describe him real quick i'm gonna read sure it. graham hancock is very much a big picture person yes and his works weave together an interdisciplinary tapestry drawing from history <laughs> anthropology geology and astronomy among other disciplines while tapping into the depths of spiritualism psychology and consciousness in an attempt to paint the fullest possible picture of the human condition and properly tell the story of humanity's journey on earth that was a good description that's who i feel this guy is perfect description he delves into everything everything now he is recognized and criticized as a wannabe archaeologist yep that's what the mainstream academics will say is that he's an archaeologist without an archaeology degree pseudoscientific pseudoscientific anthropologist the guy that racist they say that oh that's the other thing that i understand is the whole racist they they claim that his work is racist because it takes away from indigenous people's ancestors claiming that they didn't actually do the the awesome the uh, create the big megalithic structures and create the systems that they lived in that it was uh the cause of somebody else and it really actually wasn't them the issue with that is people that say that don't know anything about graham himself exactly this guy has lived all over the world has traveled all over the world he grew up in india he spent a lot of his youth in india Mm -hmm. he worked in africa for a long time his wife is malaysian yep he it this is not a guy that just is he doesn't have any prejudice in his body right the only prejudice that he has is against assumptions sure it's really that that's where it begins and ends and he has been heavily criticized because his the theories that he presents basically it's because he doesn't have a degree yep or he has a degree but it's not in history or anthropology right but he asks real questions that historians and anthropologists can't really adequately address and that threatens them and what 
what is also threatens them is the fact that he's a best-selling author. He's sold millions upon millions of books. Exactly. He goes wherever the hell he wants to go, except for Serpent Mountain in Ohio. <laughs> he is which, banned from that. Which he got banned from there. But he literally does what a lot of people probably wish they could do. Exactly. But when you look at his talents, the wide-ranging shit that he does, he could be doing anything. He is such a compelling writer. He's got a true talent for putting words on pen or on paper. Mm-hmm. He's got a true talent for narrating. He's got a great voice. And when you read his books, it's very much more so him presenting a case, but also telling a story at the same time. Yeah. And it's 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 a complicated way of writing that reads very simply. Yes, the average guy, it's easy for the average guy to read, the, to read this. Correct. And you don't need an awful lot of background in any discipline to really appreciate what he's talking about. Sure. And you do learn a lot, even if you don't agree with his theories. You learn a lot about history. You learn a lot about history. You learn a lot about the world. And even if you say this guy's completely wrong about everything he talks about, you're still going to learn a lot reading these books. Right. So where he runs into issues is basically with mainstream academia, which I've been a critic of forever on the podcast. And they make light of his research. They make light of his credentials. They make light of the arguments that he makes. But there's usually not like a hard argument against it. Sure. It's usually, well, we've always gone with this, so we're going to keep going with it, even though what the evidence that you're citing is different or wrong. Dude, Wikipedia just tears him up, man. The Wikipedia page, Grant Hancock, tears him up. Yeah. And it's terrible. But when you look at the arguments used by these academics, it's it always runs into the appeal to authority logical fallacy, which we've discussed before on the show. And even the arguments don't really make sense. Or they lead, they say, they ask, like, they'll be like, well, the evidence doesn't really support this. But then when you look at the evidence of the theory that is well established, you can apply the same logic against it. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, later, we're going to be getting into uh, Gobekli Tepe. Yes. But in the book, The Magicians of the Gods, he, he talks about when he's talking to the main archaeologist there, and he asked him, he was like, how does it feel being the person that discovered the area that is basically changing history? And the guy literally said, he was like, I don't think this is changing history. This correlates with the, the normal narrative this is just added on to it and it's like he will not discredit what's already been found he's like trying to tie it in to to fit the narrative that we all know yeah which was ridiculous and that's the other thing too that i'm noticing with graham hancock is to be properly credentialed in all the sciences that he talks about you don't really have enough time even as an academic you could start four different programs and get doctorates in all these different disciplines there's no way one person is ever going to be able to get all the credentials necessary to do all of this right let alone have a properly balanced understanding of them all to create a bigger picture narrative. Yep. Graham's a big picture person. Most academics are not big picture people. Yep. Especially when you hit the specialist stage, the farther you go down that path, the narrower your focus becomes. Yep. And the it weakens your ability to think beyond that. It really does. Definitely. So what Graham does is he effectively takes all these disciplines and keeps that broad scope together throughout all of it. Mm-hmm. Sure, he has interest in archaeology and spiritualism especially which i'm gonna have to get into later and psychedelics and psychedelics which that's the other really interesting thing with this guy is he's yeah. done he's on like every drug on the planet pretty much yeah it's it's, it's funny he uh he, he talks about in one of the episodes he talks about going into the amazon and he's he tried ayahuasca he still does it that's like a yeah, regular he, thing yeah. for him and it inspired one a couple of his novels i think entangled was one of them well it also got him off of weed because he was yeah, st- he yep. said that he was stoned 16 
16 hours a day. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Up until like 2010. This guy was 60 years old. Stoned. Right. <laughs> stoned all day, every day. He said smoking helped his writing. I mean, it, you can't argue that. Right. But anyway, so you want to get in some of his, uh, his more um, anthropological theories about like the ancients and shit like that? Sure. Because you seem to be very well versed in this. I don't know about that. I'm sure you can help me with a lot of this. So basically, he believes that an advanced civilization lived long before what the mainstream narrative suggests. So correct me if I get this wrong. Mainstream academia basically tells us that there was not an advanced civilization prior to around 6,500 years ago. Yeah, everything kind of points to the Sumerians being the first. Yes. That modern, accepted, bland, vanilla anthropology wants to believe. Yes, thank you. But the discovery of Gobekli Tepe changes all of that. Yes. It completely changes all of that. And it comes into question whether a hypothesis called the Younger Dryas hypothesis is true or not. So, you know, you've heard of the the Younger Dryas hypothesis, right? And the Younger Dryas hypothesis is creeping close and closer in the established yes it is beliefs every year it gets a little bit closer so the hypothesis has come about in 2007 is when this was discovered if you will sure and it suggests that a cataclysmic event happened on earth between 12,800 and 11,600 years ago and this was a 1200 year period of fire and floods with a series of comets hitting earth causing widespread destruction changing the climate with in the midst in the midst of that a return a short return to the ice age and then a uh, rise in sea levels after that and this theory also suggests that there were survivors of this cataclysmic event and they held the basically keys to having an advanced civilization and passed those down to the generations after the last ice age sure it's basically what this theory suggests yeah and, and this... gobekli tepe i'm sorry i cut you off no i was just gonna say to sum it up quickly is this is a cataclysmic apocalyptic worldwide event yes. that happened very suddenly and resolved pretty quickly. Yes. Now this also plays into the great thud the Great Flood, yeah, <laughs> um, which is discussed in the Bible amongst other mythological sources. Most religious texts. Most religious texts consist of the Flood. The Younger Dryas ties geologic evidence to that because the Great Flood is not 100% accepted science, which is ridiculous because it kind of floats back and forth. Definitely. And there's a lot of hieroglyphs that depict yeah. the Flood. There's plenty of evidence towards it, but sure. there's just not enough for the accepted academic materialistic narrative to want to pencil it in but the younger dryas takes that into account along with it takes a great flood and combines it with like comets hitting the earth or shit like that yes and creates a sudden series of events where number one you got the great flood happening but you also got comets pounding the earth yeah and there's different ideas as to how this could have happened but it also creates a situation where the earth for at least a little while, was covered in a complete cloud, mm-hmm. a dust cloud that pretty much shrouded out the sun, which in turn cooled the planet down, according to this theory, and kind of restarted the Ice Age for a little bit. Yep. So there's a lot going, <laughs> there's there's a lot a, going on in this period. There's a lot, yeah. And think about it. This is 1,200 years seems like a lot of time. It's really not a lot of time. Yeah, and this would have happened 12,800 years ago is what Graham Hancock consistently says. Yes. So anyways, go ahead. And the reason the discovery of Gobekli Tepe is so important is because the the oldest area of Gobekli Tepe excavated so far date back to the end of that ice age. Basically the end uh, 12,000 years ago. Sure. So, which makes them 6,000 years older than any other megalithic structure on 
Earth anywhere. Yes. So which comes and suggests, could somebody, a deity of some sort, a survivor of the cataclysmic event, passed on the knowledge of civilization to the people of Quebec Le Tepe? Because they found the first ever signs of agriculture in this place. Yes. They So they, they literally call this the birthplace of ag- agriculture. Uh, the, meth- the megalithic structures are the oldest on Earth. This At this time, there were only supposed to be hunter-gatherers. No knowledge of advanced civilization is supposed to be exist during this time. Yes. And Gobekli Tepe completely wipes that away. And the, the reference point that I think is valuable to prove how old or to show how old this, this site is, is we start from today and go all the way back to where the Great Pyramids were built. Mm-hmm. That's like the latest accepted date's like still like 5,000 years ago, 4,500 years ago. Mm-hmm. You go back from that point, that same amount of time, and then add 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years, that's when Gobekli Tepe was being built. Right. Which is insane. So there's less time in between the Great Pyramids popping up and us doing this episode than there was from Gobekli Tepe being built to the Great Pyramids. Crazy. It's a longer period of time. Right. Again, a period of time where there was no other civilization. You have to go 4,000 years, 5,000 years after this to find the first civilization. Advanced civilization. Advanced civilization like the Sumerians. Yep. That's wild. And what's crazy is he talks about this in The Magicians of the Gods. Um, There's a specific column at Gobekli Tepe. It's column 43. Yep. And it has these hieroglyphs on them. And it shows like it shows like this eagle head with with the the arms with the wings stretched out kind of like arms and it's holding a disc. Yep. And then there's legs that look like almost kind of like human legs with knees, I guess. Sure. And there's also these bag looking things on top of that. And he has seen this bag, the same bag with the same uh, type of handle on it in different areas around the world. And we did talk about this before. I think we talked yes, about this we have. on archaeology or like episode 54 or something. And the one that he found in um, Mexico shows a deity that came to them. And the one found in Mexico shows this like the same figure with the eagle head or something like that with the wings and his feet. But it looks like he's in like a rocket capsule. Yeah. And he's like on pedals. Yeah. And he has this bag that are the same bags found at Gobekli Tepe. And I think it was Mesopotamia that this thing was also found again. Sure. And the one that was found there, the the um the hieroglyphs say that this person was a deity that showed them how to build structures and do agriculture and do all that shit. It was this guy that showed them how to do all this. So that yeah that proves I wouldn't say proves, but it kind of shows like hey maybe there were survivors and they passed on information to continue the advanced civilizations. There's a reason why Graham Hancock's work and he's not the only person doing this, but he kind of is the one that's doing the most right now. Now, he's 72 years old by now. Yeah. But he's still, like I said, he's just getting more popular. He's still nimble. There, he's very highly intelligent. <laughs> He is nimble. He's going around in all these crazy places. Yeah. But these theories, I mean, it's easy to see why he's so popular. Yes, definitely. Because they make a lot of sense. They line up. They make a lot of sense. They do line up. And when you read these books, you get overwhelmed with the amount of shit that's out there. What his critics will say is that he cherry picks a lot, which I'm not going to say that he doesn't. Sure. But then again, too, you can cherry pick all you want. If it works and if it tells a story that can't be disproven, then what's the point? Right. But there's not a lot of hardcore people coming out with 
actual evidence on the contrary. Right. It literally is just a different line of thinking. And I think it exposes archaeology and anthropology as a discipline when he can put together these narratives that, number one, get more attention than anything else that's going on. Because we don't, you don't see people having conversations about established archaeology a whole lot. Right. Outside of people that specialize in it, you know? Yeah, this, this guy is really stirring the pot. He definitely is. But then again, too, when you look at the history of academia, even the concept of ethnocentrism is a very new thing. It's a 20th century establishment where you can't look at your race as the best if you want to understand the full picture. That's a new thing. Sure. So we're relying on established precedent dating back hundreds of years where ethnocentrism was the norm. Definitely. One thing about Graham Hancock, and people are going to throw out that racist thing about him, which is completely unfounded. It's 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 the most uninformed. You never researched this man. You never took a second to actually learn about him. You're just looking for any reason to discredit him as lazily as possible, and you throw that label out there. When you look at his background and his travel and where, what he was exposed to from a very young age, but then you actually tie it into the actual written words that he puts down, there's no sense of ethnocentrism whatsoever. Definitely. He's not even really a Western thinker. Definitely not. He's got more exposure to Eastern thought process than a lot of people ever could hope to have. Definitely. You and literally live there. And when you look at his understanding of culture, and you wouldn't read his work. I don't think he practices established religion, but he's also very spiritual. And he doesn't look to find the differences. He looks to find the similarities across the world. Right. He looks to find reasons why people are the same, not why they're different. How Definitely. can that be a racist? How How is that racist? It's crazy, man. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And to people that are saying that he's a cherry picker and he's racist, you are cherry picking little comments out of context to try to prove that point. Yep. So I don't care. He could be completely wrong about it. The fact that he's doing what he's doing is important to free thought. It's important. I, I love it. And, his, and yeah. his books are so good. Books are so good. And he does not make assumptions, which is the mm-hmm. craziest aspect, which everybody else makes that mistake. Assumptions are such a dangerous and lazy way to operate. If you have to operate on assumptions, you're not training your brain to process information fully. You're training your brain to ignore information. Assumptions are the ignorance of information. Right. As far as I'm concerned. I agree. And I feel like assumptions get more people in trouble just in your daily life than anything else. And Graham is very good at not making assumptions. He's very good at forcing you to justify your assumptions. He's very good at asking questions questions that might make you kind of think, oh, I didn't really think of that because I just assumed... And that's where he kind of creates these compelling cases. I hope he uh, starts digging into the Amazon more. He, he he talked about it briefly on one of the episodes, Joe Rogan episodes. And the Amazon is just the shit that they're finding in there. There's a lot going on. Yep. There's a lot of unexplained archaeological, lot of, I can't say that word, archaeological. There's a lot of unexplained archaeological findings that... They're finding huge megalithic structures in there that are just covered by greenery. And they're just ignoring them, which I guess Literally. that's everything too. It's like, eh don't fit next and i'm not going to try to be as dismissive as that to everything but there's just there's too much of that definitely now what really gets him crate makes him crazy is his how do you pronounce it Ayahuasca. 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 Yeah. He's a big proponent of this ayahuasca drink, which is a South American psychedelic beverage, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Now, the active ingredient is this is DMT. Yes. Which we, we kind of know what that is. Yes. I've never used it. I don't know if... Me neither. But it's a kind of like a quick acting intense psychoactive drug. Like, it's been described in the ballpark of like LSD and psychedelic mushrooms. Yeah. You, 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 have, you actually have some in your brain already. 
already. Sure, yeah. But this concentration is usually a very quick acting. It's usually like an intense 15 minutes where LSD can be days or weeks. Sure. And shrooms can last longer as well. These are usually pretty quick, quick. and quick and intense trips. But he's been using this, and I watched a TED Talk about him talking about it. And he doesn't believe that psychedelics should be used for fun, but used as like a... like a As a way to, to figure out other realms of consciousness. Sure, yes. And it is very interesting what happens when he goes under these trips and it's like he claims that people that use this are like communing with unseen entities right whether it's spirits of the dead or gods or just people other dimensional beings he claims that it's a regularly understood thing amongst users of this that when they drink this beverage and they're undergoing the psycho- psychological effects of it psychoactive effects that they really are like kind of transporting into a different dimension yeah, essentially they all see similar things and that number one that is weird now it could all be your brain playing tricks on you I guess but it's very consistent and the ideas that come out of it are usually pretty interesting and usually pretty like people are creating in ways that they wouldn't otherwise have any impulse to create whatsoever right after these trips and he makes it sound like it's almost a chore like oh I gotta go down there to get my (laughs) whatever the fuck Ayahuasca. Yeah, it's the stuff that uh, Aaron Rodgers tried. Oh, God. Well, <laughs> he also tried a four-day darkness retreat. Yeah. I don't know how well that went. wonder what all that was about. But it is very it is very interesting how he ties all the shit together. The mm-hmm. psychedelic shit, the astronomy, like the, the fingerprints of the gods. On the back of the book, it has a genre. Books always have a genre. It says astronomy. Now, astronomy would not be the first thing I would think about when you pick up that book. Sure. But he Do, ties... Does he talk about the Orion theory. I haven't gotten that far in the book yet, but I'm assuming he probably does. Gotcha. He does talk about how different, like the Nazca lines a little bit, and how some of them kind of tie to Orion a little bit, the constellation. Yeah, because we, we we've talked about how before on the show how the pyramids line up with the with the Orion belt. Sure. Yes. And that the ancients possibly designed it that way. So I think they hung, they had to have had to have. Now I guess the one is a little bit off, but they're pretty damn close. But then again, too, that could be explained by different changes in the Earth. Yes. So, and Graham, he's not the only one that's doing it, but he's like kind of most popular today. Definitely. A big reason why is his program on Netflix, which you can watch right now if you guys are listening and you guys really want to see what this guy's all about, called Ancient Apocalypse. Yeah, it's pretty good. Very interesting show. It's kind of ancient alien-y, but the eighth episode especially is really good when he kind of ties it all together. Now, in this program, he visits different sites across the world. He goes to Serpent Mound. He goes to somewhere in Peru. He goes to Indonesia. Mexico. I believe Mexico. So he really does bounce around the world, but he keeps telling the story and he kind of comes off a little bit like he's like, archaeology is wrong. <laughs> 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 but it's a very interesting show, and you do learn a lot. Even if you don't buy into his theories, you're going to learn a lot on the show anyways. Definitely. And you're going to see different ideas and different ways of thinking. And that is ultimately what I think is so important about him. Definitely. Is you have to use mental energy to, number one, understand what the hell he's talking about. Even though it is easy to understand, you still have to think about it. But like I've said many times on the podcast, I feel like we're not thinking enough. I feel like we're not challenging the status quo enough as a society when it comes to what the authoritative figures say. Pat, we should travel to the Amazon and do one of these ayahuasca trips with the shaman. See, I would love to do that, but I would probably get like eaten by a anaconda or a piranha or something. See, I would have to do that supervised. Yes. I wouldn't want to do that by myself. If I was rich, I'd be doing all the shit, but I'd have like a like a team. Yes, definitely. A team of hired people that you'd have like a doctor, um, mercenaries, right? A cartographer, probably like a like a like a star reader or something. Right. So you need to have like a well 
well-rounded group of geologists. Definitely. But definitely. That would definitely be pretty cool. That would be fun. Now, do you have anything else you want to talk about Graham Hancock today? I feel like this is kind of more of a primer episode. Because f- we're going to sure. be, throughout we're, this show, we're going to be getting into more of his shit. We're going to talk more about, this is not the this is not the end of Graham Hancock. Definitely not. And like we've said previously, he has played into a lot of things that we've talked about before. Like the Peary Reese map and Fingerprints of the Gods. The Peary Reese map is like the first chapter. Oh, nice. Where he's talking about that. And if nothing else, if, if academia was truly legitimately out to make the world a better place, which I don't think if they are, I don't th- some of them are, but not all of them. Sure. But especially in these disciplines where there isn't no immediate added value, there is no immediate added value to anthropology. If society starts to struggle for a second, doctors, engineers, and people that produce are always going to be more important than academic pursuits that don't add value on their own. Definitely. So if you want to do something, you have to be ready to answer questions. You have to be fully engaged. And this is where studies like this, academic disciplines like this, have completely fallen off the map is they don't they don't really provide value and they don't want to answer questions. Because they're not continuing the investigation. Exactly. They're not continuing to so, look for other shit. Unless these people are truly threatened by him, I feel like they would be ready to go. Ready to go out there. Exactly. And say, hey Graham, here's where you're you're off. But then again too, there just isn't enough. There's not enough evidence. Because then again, nobody really lived there. Right. And even history, even well-established history, you're only ever going to get the perspectives of the people that knew how to write and... And the winners. Came from the world where... And the winners, but came from a world where their writing could be preserved. Right. Like, let's say shit hits the fan tomorrow. No one's ever going to hear our perspective. More than likely. Probably not. Joe Rogan, more likely, because he had more of a following. Right. But does that make our perspective any less important? Or any less valuable to a future anthropologist trying to understand what we did today? Right. You can't necessarily argue that Joe Rogan's perspective was more important than ours, necessarily. It might have had a wider following. You kind of get what I'm saying? I get what you're saying. And this gives you guys more reasons to listen to 4.30 in the morning. Definitely. Anyways, on that note, that's Graham Hancock. Episode number one. We'll have more, for sure. He's got 15 books out, or 16 books out there. We mentioned plenty of them on the show. Please check him out. Check out his website. You can find his podcast on YouTube pretty easily. You can search Graham Hancock, Joe Rogan. Oh, yeah. Um, Joe Rogan has all his episodes on Spotify. Yes. For free, and you can watch them on there, too. Very fun. Now, the one problem with Graham Hancock, and this is something we discussed before, is it's possible that we believe him more because he's a British person. Sure, yes. And British you know, people are technically smarter. They got that accent that... That means they're smarter. Makes them more believable. <laughs> <laughs> But still, this is a good British person as far as I'm concerned. Definitely. Anyways, on that note, that's about all I got today. Do you have anything else you want to talk about when it comes to Graham Hancock? Nope, that's it for me. Anyways, thank you very much, guys, for listening. Episode 100, I feel like it was a success. I hope so. Hopefully I I didn't butcher that too bad. No, I feel like this was a fun discussion. I feel like we really kind of hit on everything. Yeah, it was fun. I feel like we hit on everything that I wanted to hit on. So Good. I was happy with it. Um, I felt like Graham Hancock was a good option. and We've had this prepared for a while. Yes, we have. It's been a couple months that we've kind of known that we were going to do with the Graham Hancock discussion. So please sway us at 30 in that. Please let us know what you guys thought about this topic. Graham Hancock, if you're out there and if you enjoyed our discussion, please tweet us at 30 in Please come on Facebook. Yes, please get a hold of us somehow, some way. Yes, we would love to bring you to the studio. We'll fly you in on our time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will. Definitely. Just to keep the discussion going because I, I very much value his work. I very much value his perspective. Me as well. I'm, I'm happy that he's out there doing it and I wish there were more people out there. 
author like him. Definitely. So on that note, 100 episodes, I'm kind of surprised that we made it this far, but... I'm proud of us. Maybe we got another 100 do in the we future. we 100% have another 100 in us? Definitely. I do have some topics. I got a lot of topics I'll run by you of, but, in the future. Of course, we only have, as long as our computer lets us... 643 hours. <laughs> We've got 643 hours of content left, people. So anyways, on that note, it's about time to get out of here. So thank you very much, guys, for listening. Peace. So. All right, yeah. How about you get kicked off? I'll get kicked off. Yes, I will. My first ones. <laughs> Hopefully none of us get ticked off. <laughs> is that good? No. Is that going to make the episode? It is not. Son of a bitch. Anyways, my first one comes from our favorites, UPI Odd News. All right. But the Younger Dryas takes that into account along with... <laughs> God damn it. Excuse me. <laughs> you all right? Yeah. Um, God. <laughs> it takes the Great Flood and it takes uh, like a meteorologist... A meteorologist? Cut. <laughs> it takes a great flood and combines it with, like, comets hitting the earth or shit like that. Yes. And I really think there's enough here for multiple episodes. Sure. I really feel like we can revisit Graham regularly. We could talk... We could... We could... We could literally... Okay. This is what we need to do. This is like this is gonna be like a fifteen part series, all right? Okay. We're gonna get every one of Graham Hancock's books. Uh, there are sixteen. I got them all right here. And we're gonna <laughs> fucking sixteen part series. My bad. And we're gonna fucking uh, we're gonna do a book review on every one of these bastards. Shit. Well, they're easy to read. I mean, yeah, they're fun. I mean, the one's pretty fun to listen to yeah. so far. Yeah. So. Anyways, what else is going on? Anything? Not a lot, man, besides getting my ass rammed in the back, besides uh, 